Okay, welcome to the One God Report podcast. I'm Bill Schlegel. I'm here with Preston Macy and my wife Stephanie. And we are going to uh, look into the scriptures. We love the Bible. We love the scriptures. And part of uh, the reason for doing this is uh, we want to look at scriptures which have been traditionally or typically interpreted by Trinitarians, saying that this is evidence that there is more than one person in who God is. For a matter of fact, today we're going to start from the beginning, the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.26. When I came to this understanding that there's one God and Jesus is his Messiah, many people said, oh, what about Genesis 1.26, when God said, let us make man in our image. Isn't this the Trinity in that passage? So let's take a look at that. I'll just read Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so like I said, I've, I've heard people say, oh, here's the Trinity, right back there in the book of Genesis. And as a matter of fact, even uh, pastors, uh, well-respected pastors, have said this. But it, they should know that there's a disconnect between that understanding that somehow there's another person back there with God who creates, and the scholarship. Let me give one little quote from the Word Biblical Commentary where the, the scholar, he's a Trinitarian, says this about this verse. Christians have traditionally seen this verse as adumbrating the Trinity. It is now universally admitted that this was not what the plural meant to the original author. Now, I think he's probably exaggerating a little bit when he says universally, but maybe you could even say he's a little bit frustrated with his own camp in saying, hey, come on, quit saying that the Trinity is in Genesis 1.26. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it's a couple things leap out. If you didn't know the Trinity already, you would never look at that and see the plural form of God is what it, it seems to say. Let man, uh, let us make man in our image. If you did not, if you're just reading Genesis and that's the very first book of the Bible that you've ever read and you've never heard anything about God, I don't think this plural form would really strike you. A is a Trinity. Hmm. Why? Why is there three? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Let's be clear about that. There's nothing in this passage that says, "Hey, there's three people here, right. three persons of God." Nothing there. So you can you can really see how if if people do claim the Trinity, it's because they're they're reading their beliefs into the Bible. And this is probably one of the best examples of that. It doesn't say anything about a son, a Holy Spirit, even a father. We don't really know who God is yet in this whole... We just know he's a creator. That's really all we know about him. Hmm. What really kind of opens the, the door with understanding this verse too is the Hebrew. So not many people know too many like nuances of the Hebrew language. So it, it does say us in this passage. And is that because the, the verb, the make verb is a plural verb? Hmm. Bill, do you know, can you clear that up? Yes, the, the verb here, first of all, 
God is the word is Elohim in Hebrew, and he says. So that's singular. Elohim says. So the says is singular verb. The next verb, let us make man, is a plural verb. Alright? It is interesting to note that the verb for create in verse 27 is the singular. He, Elohim, singular, created. So God singular speaks and God singular created. So the question is, is why does he say us? Who is he speaking to? Is he speaking to another person in a Godhead? Scripture doesn't say that. Is he speaking to somebody else in his presence? There are other options. There are other possibilities too. Some people think it's like a king saying, okay, we are going to uh, provide bread for everybody. Right? We, okay, it's sort of a majestic plural. These are other possibilities. And, and actually, this is one of the things that, that I think we want to say is, in a passage like this, let's not be overly dogmatic. Because, let's face it, Jesus did not tell us, oh, don't you see back there when God said, let us make man in our image? Jesus didn't say, that's me back there. That's another person back there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say that. Jesus is not telling us that. No prophet ever interpreted this verse that way. No apostle ever did. So that means it's not in the Bible. Nobody in the Bible is telling us that there's another person back there. Actually, the first people to suggest this, we can trace it. They're not Jewish people. They're Gentiles from the second century AD. Now, that should be a red flag if I'm a Protestant who believes in Scripture alone. Right? So we need to know the source of our beliefs. This is not a biblical interpretation of that verse. And the same with us. We're going to make a suggestion about, let's face it, a somewhat obscure passage. Because if you count them up, there's a handful of passages where God speaks with the plural us. Let us do this. And we'll, we should look at them in just a second. A couple of more are in the book of Genesis. A few others in a, another place in the scripture. But I think in each case, we're going to see that it's better to understand that that us, he's not speaking to members in a Godhead. He's speaking to other creatures in his presence. Now, actually, let, let, I would say this too. The Trinitarian interpretation of this verse doesn't work. I think it actually creates more problems than it solves. We've mentioned there's no, no clear description of three persons here and so forth. So if you're going to say that that plural means more than one, why stop at three, etc.? And this is one of the reasons why this scholar who wrote the word biblical commentary is very loath to suggest more than one member of a Godhead because he knows it opens the door wide open for polytheism. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, why is it? If we want to assume that this is one member of the of the Trinitarian Godhead, why would the others not know his plan? In typical Trinitarian understanding, all three members of the Godhead are equal and eternal, and they've no, they all have omniscience. So here, if you're going to interpret this as a Trinit, in a Trinitarian way, you've got to say, ah, how do we know it's the first person of the Godhead? Why, maybe it's the third person of the Godhead. I've got an idea. Hmm, what do you think about this? We're three people right here, and I can mm -hmm. share it to my wife. What do you think about this idea? Should we make, how, let's make man in our image. Why didn't you know about that already? So the Trinitarian is not only going to suggest that the other members of the Godhead didn't have the idea in his person, in his mind, however you want to describe it. So you're creating more problems 
yeah, who saw if it. If I can add to that, so if you if you actually think about, let's say that that it, uh, God was describing a Trinity in this verse, and so for, the first problem we have is who's doing the talking. So who's saying, "Let us make man," right? Is it? It could be one of four possibilities. It could be the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or it could be the Trinity itself, which. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knows. That's a very vague thing. If you think that the Trinity is all of them together, does it have some sort of voice that it can communicate with? Mm. So that's kind of confusing mm-hmm. too. Um, and then you're right. Let who you know who came up with this idea? Reading this verse, everybody knows it's the Father. Like mm-hmm. they just because they, that makes sense yeah. with the Bible. Because the rest of the scriptures say, "I, God, yes, alone created." So so one part of the Trinity had this idea. And it, you know, is he trying to convince the other parts of the Trinity that this is a good idea, mm-hmm. right? Is this how they kind of decide things? Is that how they decide to make the heavens and the earth, to make all this mm-hmm. other, you know, there's no, there's no discourse prior to that, mm-hmm. right? This is almost like an emphasis on God's greatest creation. That's why it's Man. Kind of, very exactly. important. Very important. So that's why it stops here, right? So God makes the earth, the animals, all, you know, everything that fill the earth, but then when it comes to man, the very thing he's going to implant his image on, yeah. he takes a moment to, to describe this is significant. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, want to re- I want to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. This is not about the creation of rocks, trees, stars, plants, reptiles, mammals, animals, etc. If it was, this would have been the very first verse in Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. God speaking somehow to member other members of the Trinity or whomever doesn't make sense, but this is specifically in connection with the creation of man. So there's something about the creation of man where the, where God, I will suggest, is appealing to other supernatural beings, be they angels or cherubim or seraphim, we'll see, are in his retinue. And he is bringing them into his plan and purpose for mankind. Mm-hmm. Now, We'll come back to that idea. Let me just say this. If when we look for an understanding of this, what this passage is, we need to follow one of the main rules of biblical interpretation. And that is, we need to interpret an obscure passage in light of clearer passages. There are so many passages in the scripture where Yahweh, the name of God of Israel, Elohim is God, Yahweh or Yehovah is his personal name. He is described as the one who makes everything, right? It's just a matter of searching in your concordance or your Bible program and you'll find he is the one who's made everything. He is referred to in the singular thousands and thousands of times by singular verbs. See, Hebrew has number in their verbs and in their adjectives and in their pronouns. Probably over 20,000 times the God of Israel is referred to with singular verbs, singular pronouns, singular adjectives. Mm -hmm. So now let's not take four, maybe five, less clear references and now redefine who God is. That's very, very dangerous business, a very dangerous business, especially when we have scriptures that clearly tell us that Yahweh, Yehovah, is one. Let's not take an obscure passage and say, oh, no, no, we're going to make him 
more than one. So a very important rule of interpretation is to interpret the less clear passages with the clearer ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's come back for a second to the uh, idea that there would be other personages in Yahweh Elohim, God, Jehovah's presence, when he says this. There's another podcast, and we'll, I think, put a link to it by Dustin Smith, where he goes through the other passages where us is mentioned by Yahweh. And another one is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. You want to read that one real quick? Sure. Genesis 3, 22. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Okay, and then we see, after this is after the sin of Adam and Eve, that the Lord will place a cherubim guarding the garden. So there was another creature in the presence of Yahweh when the Lord spoke that. Okay, and then also in Genesis 11.7 is a, a passage where the Lord speaks and he says, us. All right, that one says, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. And then there are a couple of other passages. Maybe we won't look at these. We can describe them. Isaiah 6, 8, where Isaiah sees yod Vavhe, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah, on his throne, and there are seraphim in Yahweh's presence. And within that passage... Yahweh says, whom shall we send? Mm -hmm. So there we can see clearly we have other people in his presence. And Isaiah says, send me. Okay? But Yahweh sends, says in plural, whom shall we send? Okay, there is a angelic, we can call it, if seraphim can be called angels. Uh, others, creatures in Yahweh's presence. And then also in 1 Kings 22, if you remember this account, this is when... King Ahab of the north wants to go in battle. And Yahweh has an entourage. Some people might call it a heavenly council. We have different ways to describe it. There are other created beings whom Yahweh says, How shall we deceive Ahab? And one speaks up and says, I'll go as a deceiving spirit. And Yahweh says, Go. Okay, so we see in the presence of Yahweh other angels, seraphim, kruvim, cherubim that Yahweh could be speaking to. Now, let's go back to Genesis 1.26. Here is what I would suggest. And again, I won't be totally dogmatic about it. I would suggest that before Yahweh creates man, and remember what it says in Genesis 1.27. Sometimes I believe you, if we just look one or two verses more, I, I think you see that the, the typical Trinitarian interpretations of these verses don't work. Yahweh says, let us make man in our image. Let him... How does he say it? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. You see, man is being created as God's representative ruler upon the created earth. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's a very good suggestion why he is telling the angels, I want you to cooperate. I want you involved in this. There is an interesting, different verb here, the na'aseh adam betzalmenu, 
let us make man in our image, is a different verb than the next verse where Yahweh creates. Vayivra Elohim. Okay, God created. That's not to say that uh, the word make can sometimes be involved in creation, but it does have a, a wider spectrum. Whereas bara, yivra, is always Yahweh creating. Okay, mm -hmm. So it could well be that Yahweh is appealing to or bringing in angels into his plan as ministering spirits. Does that sound familiar? To assist mankind to be rulers over the creation. Now, we know that some don't like that plan. And then we go to the book of Hebrews. We don't yet see man ruling over everything, which God intends, but it's going to happen. It's not to angels that Yahweh subjects the world to come, but man. Psalm chapter 8. Oh, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. psalm. But we go a little too far. Let's come back. Uh, so, I've got a question for you. The, the word make, can that also be like to form or to mold? It can be, yes. It has a wider spectrum than the word bara, right? So, you're right. Mm -hmm. It can be to take material that already exists and form it into something. As you were talking, this thought just kind of occurred to me that to create is to basically make something exist that has never existed before. And he doesn't say to the well to whoever he's talking to here when he's talking to the us verse, mm -hmm. let us create man. Mm -hmm. He, does he not. says make him in our image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course we know that a, a man or a woman, you know, when they're born, it's a, it's a blank slate. They've got to learn. They've got to mm -hmm. grow. They have to learn wisdom and all these other things. And like the ministering angels aspect of it, it's interesting. Assist him to be. The ruler over the earth. Exactly. And, ag and acknowledge yeah. that earth is man's domain. Mm -hmm. Right? That God, that God has appointed man to be ruler over the earth. It's not the angel's domain. Right? Because I think a lot of people, myself included, when I read this verse, I read make and create to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as life is breathed in the man, the making process is done. But it's almost like the making process is just beginning. Yeah. As man will then learn how to be in God's image, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yep, sure. Now, l let me toss something else out there. Before I do stuff, you, were you ready to say something? Oh, not at that particular time, but I just like to use the phrase, it's not, you guys have said it's not three, but it's not five. Or, I mean, if you open the door to polytheism, really, because it could be five, ten, eighty, a hundred. It doesn't say three, so it could be... Many. I mean, mm -hmm. if you want, it's, that's a dangerous thing to open the yep. door because once you start to believe that, it just. And it's this is not a biblical. I think this is very important. Every time somebody goes to the Old Testament and starts to say, "Here's the Trinity," there. First thing is, I would ask, "Is this? Did you get this information from Jesus? Did you get this information from the Apostle Paul? Did you get this information from the?" From Peter, if this is such a key scripture to understand who God is, why didn't Jesus, when he talked about creation, tell us, by the way, I was one of the ones back there. On the contrary, when Jesus talked about creation, he talked about God creating, not himself. God created them, male and female, specifically refers to this passage. So this is not a biblical idea. For if you're a Catholic or a Greek Orthodox, that's not a huge problem. It should be a big problem if you're a Protestant, because it's not a biblical description. 
you know, an, uh, an explanation of who God is. Mm-hmm. Here, here's, what, here's what I suggest is somewhat what has gone on here. I think that Trinitarianism has confused us in that it has tried to tell us that Jesus is the creator. And because there's a few passages in which Jesus is involved in a creation in the New Testament. John, Gospel of John, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. So they say, oh, now they see that he's not the actual, the, the real originator of creation. The creation is through him or by him things are made, right? But they see some kind of a role that Jesus had in creation. So they say, oh, he must have pre-existed. They think that that creation is referring to the Genesis creation. So they think that he pre-existed. Now, early on in the second century and the third century, and when Gentiles started to think about these things, they didn't think of Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, as a co-equal, co-eternal. He was a subordinate creature somehow, right? Now, eventually that developed. But I think it's what's happened here is Trinitarianism has thrown us off the scent because whenever the Bible talks about Jesus' involvement in creation, it's in the new creation. The scripture is telling us, folks, get ready because God is going to renew this Mm -hmm. creation. This is the hope of Israel, we can say. This is the hope of all the apostles. When Paul says the hope of Israel is what? The resurrection from the dead. Resurrection is a new creation. And that's what the New Testament is telling us. That God, through Jesus, the human Messiah Jesus, is bringing about the new creation. Jesus says, don't you know you must be born again? That is renewal. That's that's a new creation. So all these passages, which Trinitarianism thinks... Oh, there's Jesus creating back there rocks and trees and so forth. No, you don't see anything like that. I heard a pastor one time, a very prominent pastor say, Jesus said, quote, I created the universe, unquote. What? Find, I mean, this pastor should know better. Find me the passage where Mm -hmm. Jesus said, I created the universe. Mm -hmm. It's not there. But see, he's... He's seen these passages where Jesus is the facilitator of the new creation. God is doing the new creation. But like through Adam, everything that we have right now on the earth, all of man's society, you, Preston sitting across there. By the way, Preston's an F-18 pilot, okay? Well, he was. He still flies for the Navy. But the brain that you've got, all of that that we have right now, society, politics, it all came through one man. Mm-hmm. And likewise, the new creation, the resurrection from the dead, everything that's going to be in the kingdom, the next age, all comes through one man. And you see, boom, when I was a Trinitarian, I could not understand those passages. All of a sudden, now I start to see, ah, Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation, the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn of many brethren. That's like Adam was the firstborn of the current creation. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then one comment real quick about that pastor who misquoted, because it depends, if you look at the Greek, that's certainly a misquote, right? There's no Greek manuscript that would have 
you know, Jesus saying, I created the universe. There's no English manuscript. There's no French. There's no I'm, Spanish. I'm going to give the caveat. There are translations which are more of interpretations. Things like the Message Bible, the Amplified Bible. In there, I could see, and those are not translations. They, they basically go, it's a tangent that the uh, translator or interpreter really will just kind of paraphrase what he thinks it should say. Mm-hmm. So that's just something for people listening. If they're like, well, but my Bible says this. Translation is also a key here in understanding what's God really trying to say through his word. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any translation that puts in Jesus' mouth, I created the universe. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You might have something from Paul in Colossians that kind of sounds a little bit like that in a translation. Mm-hmm. But look at it. Look at Colossians. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Look at John. I believe the book of John, John is telling us this is God working the new creation through Jesus. What does the book of Revelation say? You can write this down. Behold, I make all things new. It's through Jesus the Messiah. He's the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of God's creation. True. Okay, so uh, let's just wrap up. I would say Genesis 1.26. I mean, folks, honestly, for Trinitarians... When people tell me this first now, I'm a little bit like, boy, you really haven't thought this through, have you? It's, it's, you've heard this, and it's kind of a popular thing, but go pick up a commentary or two. Look, even on the Internet, I looked at the Internet, and most of them are still this sort of this popular idea that Genesis 126 is the Trinity back in there. But, you know, you scratch the surface a little bit there of that, in, that interpretation, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You're, you're going to take an obscure passage and now all of a sudden tell Yahweh that you're not one, but you're more than one. We have to be careful with that. Now, still, we can't be real dogmatic. Jesus didn't tell us who was there when God said, let us make man our image. Paul didn't tell us. They didn't refer to this passage. When they did, it's in the sense that God is one when he creates man. And By the way, it's very interesting. It's Male and female, he created them. So if anything, if you wanted to say that there's another person or something in in God in the creation of man there in Genesis 126, you'd almost want to say, oh, God has male and female, right? So let's not be dogmatic, but let's interpret these less clear passages with very clear passages. How many times does... Yahweh need to say in the scriptures, be it Deuteronomy chapter 4, be it in the book of Isaiah, I alone created. Mm. There was no one with me. Mm. You want to go around with that with some obscure passage with a hint Mm -hmm. and a clue? Don't be looking for hints and clues to change our idea on who Yahweh is. It's not a good method. We have Mm. clear description from the scripture. Yahweh is one and his Messiah is Jesus risen from the dead. We'd like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel, the One God Report YouTube channel, and to join our Facebook One God Report group. We plan to have a new podcast every week or so. Next time, we'll plan to take a look at Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, two verses that mention the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Are these verses evidence that God is three persons in one, or are they telling us something else? And finally, we'd like to close this session with a question. 
If you'd like to answer the question in our Facebook or YouTube comment section, please do. Here's the question, reading from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Why and how could it be that Jesus, the resurrected, glorified in heaven Jesus, as described in the book of Revelation, is called the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation? If Jesus was creator back in the book of Genesis, how here in the book of Revelation could he be called the beginning of God's creation.